Deception blinds you. No one in here wants to be someone who has been duped or tricked, but oftentimes when you don't have a foundational standard to anchor you, you're more susceptible to the lies. Let me explain it like this. Uh, A few months ago, I took our student ministry staff team to a one-day conference in Houston. Uh, It was a great trip. Now, how many of you guys know that when you take a trip on student ministry budget, we're not staying in hotels for a few days. Like, we went to the the one-day conference, and we immediately drove back. And it was late at night, and uh, it was me uh, driving our high school pastor, Matthew Rodriguez, in the passenger seat. In the back, we had Cambria Thompson, who's our administrative assistant, and then Robin Wood, who helps lead our Velocity Bandera. Now, we were driving back. It was late. We had a long day. We got so much information. And can I just say, we hit the point of delirious. You know what I'm talking about? When you're like so tired that everything is funny, right? You just, you hear something, you're like, ha, 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 I don't know why I'm laughing, but, right? And so we're in this stage and we're driving on the way from Houston back to San Antonio. And our administrative assistant, Cambria, she's young. Like she's in her 20s and she like has all this energy in the world in the car. And I'm like, stop, right? You just, I'm just like, she's just, she's like, hey, She's all antsy. She goes, let's, let's play a game, guys. And I'm like, no. I don't want to play a game, right? I'm like the old guy in the car, like, get off my lawn. I'm just, I was like, I don't want to play a game. I just want to sit here, drive, and just go home. I want to sit in silence. Anybody like that in here? Yes, yes, right? I have four kids, so silence is rare. And so I remember I was like, Listen, I don't want to play a game. I just want to sit and drive in silence. We had like an hour and a half left. And she says, I bet you can't stay silent longer than I can. Now, here's the deal in student ministry. We love teenagers and and discipling them, but we love a good competition. We really do. And so she's like, I bet you can't stay uh, silent longer than I can. I was like, bet. I'm going to win this. And so immediately we got silent in the car. And it was awkwardly silent. Like it was the first 20 minutes, it was just like uncomfortable, just like what is, like we just were like looking at each other. It was just weird. And it was silent. But Cambria, she doesn't like losing either. And so she tries to get me to lose. She starts doing what young people do. She starts trying to annoy me, right? Just And she's like tapping on my chair, right? And then she's kicking my chair. And I was like, Jesus, help me right now. Take the wheel. Take it right now. And then she starts, she starts literally like getting pistachios and just chewing it right in my ear. Just right there. I don't know what, that annoyed, like if you chew in my ear, like, whoo, right? And then she starts, like, she tried getting uh, Robin, who was in the back seat, she tried having Robin ask me deep theological questions so that I would answer. She even got water and poured it on me, trying to get me to react. I'm driving, guys. What is wrong? Right? And so what do I do? I retaliate. Right? And so what I, I, I'm, 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 in the, I'm in the driver's seat. I've got all the power and control. And so I roll down just her window, and I put the windows on lock. 
Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. You ever been driving down the highway and just roll down one window and it's that loud noise, whoa, 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 right? And we did that for the next hour and a half. It was cold. I got ice water. I threw it on both of them in the back. It was all fun and games. But our high school pastor, Matt Rodriguez, had no clue that we were playing this game. Deception blinds you. I just imagine what Matt was going through in his head. Like I can imagine the mind games of what happened that all of a sudden the whole car got silent. I mean, it was, you can just see that he was, he was, he was kind of concerned. He tried talking to me, but I ignored him. He tried talking to everyone else. We all ignored him. And you can see that he was so like distraught in his head to the point where I don't know what conversation he had, but I think he assumed he said something wrong to Cambria. He even turned back and looked at her and genuinely apologized for something. He was like, I'm so sorry that if I offended you by saying this, I saw tears in his eyes, guys. And he's, he's, he's apologizing. And Cambria didn't even say, I forgive you, just nodded. You imagine being in that moment, just, mm-hmm, sure, whatever. Like, I knew that he was so deceived because we got back to the church, and he went to go talk to Cambria again, like, please, seriously, forgive me, you know. This happened on Friday night. Sunday morning, Matt Rodriguez comes talk to me. He's actually preaching on that Sunday, and he pulls me to the side. He goes, Chocolate Bear, I need to make this right. Whatever tension that we have, I just can't deal with it anymore. I was like, what are you talking about? He goes, why were y'all mad at me? Like he just just breaks down crying. From Friday night, all Saturday, now Sunday, I can't preach the word of God if I know that there is tension between you and me. I was like, bro, we were playing a game, dog. (laughs) What are you, he was like, for real? I was like, yes, what did you think we were doing? He was like, I thought y'all were genuinely upset with me. Deception blinds you. See, Matt was operating from his own wrong information, and because of that, it ruined what his weekend was like. I look at our culture today, and I think too many of us operate our lives off of our own information, off of our own perception. And we don't understand that a lot of times we are deceiving ourselves. We don't understand that, see, because this is what we've done. Can I just be real with y'all, 1045? We've made truth subjective and not objective. We say, okay, that's your truth, that's your truth, this is my truth. You get truth, you get truth, you all get truth, right? Like, but can I just break it down? In order for something to be true, something else must be false, I know that's so simple, but I think too often we don't want to talk about what's false because we might offend somebody's truth. But truth is objective. Truth is. It's, a, it's, a, it's an objective standard that we have to, that anchors us, that helps us not be deceived. We know this. Jesus, Jesus is our objective standard. Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so how he lived his life is a standard for us to operate. 
His word is the truth. The scripture says that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That is the truth. But too often we get deceived. We deceive ourselves. Too often we deceive what sin is and what sin isn't. Good morning. We see it in our culture. What's the, the people are like, oh, no, that's not sin. And that's not that bad. We, we, I'm okay. It's just a little sin. No, 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 no. That's your interpretation of what sin is. I know what's right. I'm okay to do this. I'm going to live by the grace of God. And we abuse grace. But the truth is, Scripture talks about it in 1 John 1. He says, if you say that you have fellowship with him, but we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We deceive ourselves of what sin is. We deceive, oh, I don't want to go there. It's too early. We deceive ourselves. <laughs> I didn't say this first service. We deceive ourselves thinking that we are actually Christ followers. Ay, ay, ay. We do. We think if we just show up, we are followers of Jesus. If we just show up in his presence where we are Christian, if I sing the song, we deceive ourselves. But if you look at scripture, Jesus is very clear that narrow is the gate. I think we deceive ourselves in church thinking that we're on the narrow path. Some of y'all about to throw something at me. I think we deceive ourselves that what church is meant to be. I think we deceive ourselves thinking that church is for us to get fed. This is for me. I'm going to come in, get my right parking spot, get my taco, get my seat, air condition. My, this is for me. We deceive ourselves that thinking church is for us. But if we do that, we're not worshiping God, we're worshiping us. We deceive ourselves from responsibility. It's like, oh, you know what, that's a responsibility for a pastor, for a small group. That's that's somebody else's responsibility. They should do that. But scripture talks about in James, it says, be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word, deceiving yourselves. I think we deceive ourselves out of obedience. I think we deceive ourselves on fulfillment. I think we have this culture that says, I deserve this. And we deceive ourselves what happiness and joy is. That's why we try to fulfill our life with so many different things like alcohol, drugs, substance, relationships, money, status, entertainment. And we try to substitute what God told us not to. He said, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. And we deceive ourselves thinking that everything is for us. Today, as we continue our series, someone say deception blinds you. Deception blinds you. See, here's the, I'll say this. When it comes to what you think is true and what the Bible says is true, can I just tell you the Bible is right and you're wrong. Some of y'all didn't like that one. (laughs) 
The Bible is always true. You can't pick and choose what you feel like should be true. Can't do that. It's kind of like gravity, right? You can't tell somebody, oh, you believe in gravity? Oh, you do you, boo-boo, right? Like you just, if you believe in gravity, good for you. I don't believe in gravity. I believe I can fly. And then gravity happens. I'm a big dude. I hit gravity quick. Like just, right? It doesn't care. Truth doesn't care about your feelings or what you believe. And this is why I am a firm believer that we shouldn't try to change God's word to fit our life, but we should change our lives to fit God's word. It's not about trying to make it work for us. It's saying when we are reading God's word, when you step into the presence of God, you should not be saying like, oh, you know what, let me see how I can fit this to work for me. You should be asking yourself, God, how do you want me to change so I'm more like you? I pray for a church that steps into his presence or reads his word and say, God, I just want to be changed. But too often we get stuck in our habits and we don't want to change. We don't, and we build an identity deceiving ourselves. Today, as we continue our series, Art of War, welcome if you're a first-time guest. Wow. <laughs> Some of y'all are like, I should have invited next week. All right. We start, we'll continue our series, Art of War, and we're looking at the armor of God. And if I can just be honest, we had this really cool mannequin, but if you were in worship, you heard it break. So... So just picture the armor of God right here. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, and this is Paul writing to the church in Ephesus. It says this, starting in verse 13. It says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Let me stop right there. It says, take up the whole armor of God. Not just the parts you like. Not just, oh, I like the sword. Oh, I like the shield. No, no, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth. Let me stop right there. Girded your waist with truth. We don't speak like that anymore. In other versions, this talks about the belt of truth. Now, one thing to notice here is that the belt of truth in the whole armor is the first thing mentioned. Not the sword, not the helmet, not the shield. The belt is noticed, is mentioned first. Now, usually if something is first, it's important. But let's just be real. Belts are not usually the first thing we notice on people, do we? We don't say, man, dope outfit, I like your belt. Like just, that would be really awkward really quick, right? We like, oh, I like your shoes, I like your shirt. And so why is the belt mentioned first. It's not flashy. It's not glamorous. Why the belt? Well, what you need to understand is that when Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, mind you, he's writing in jail. Context is everything. I think too many times we talk about the armor of God when things are going well. No, no, no. Paul's writing while he's in prison, and he's looking at a Roman soldier and comparing it to the armor of God. And if you would have seen the Roman soldier, you would have seen that the armor of God weighed about 70 to 80 pounds. Like that's heavy. And they would wear it for about 12 hours a day. That's, that's a lot. 
And so what the belt did, it would, it would kind of tighten all the armor together, and it was similar to like what we would look at today as a weight belt. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody that lift, use a weight belt? No? Y'all don't do legs, huh? You just skip legs, skip leg day. Just all arms, all arms. Sun's out, gun's out, right? But it's like, it's like a similar to a weight belt that when you tighten it up, it strengthens your core and it stabilizes you to carry heavy things. Ooh, I hope you catch this one. That the belt of truth stabilizes the believer during battle. The belt of truth stabilizes you for battle. That's what it does. It strengthens you. It strengthens your core. It puts all things in place. Now, the Romans, when they would sit, the belt was so tight and, 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 and it strengthened that when they would sit down, they would take it off, which shows me that the belt was never battle-specific. It was to tell people that I'm battle-ready. So when they, would, when they would stand up, they would go ahead and put that belt back in and say, I'm ready. That this is carrying heavy things. Understand that the battle or the belt of truth for battle is to help you lift something heavy. And so the belt was for that. And so today I want to look at two times in Scripture that the enemy tried to deceive by, by just deceiving with false or going against what was true. The first one we're going to look at in Genesis chapter 3. Genesis is in the very beginning, the very first book of the Bible. You don't even have to go through your index, right? It's right there at the beginning. And it's a story about Adam and Eve, and many people know this story. You quoted it. You went to kids' church. Like, everybody knows this story. I think too many people know just the information. But if you want God to do something in your life, I truly believe information plus application equals transformation. And so when we look at God's word today, may we not say, this is great info. May you be asking, okay, how do I apply this? And so in Genesis 3, starting in verse 1, it says this. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. Let me stop right there. The serpent was more cunning than any beast in the field. Do you understand that the devil had to be cunning back then? He had to be sly. He had to be uh, trickery. Why? Because back then, everything was holy and pure. There was no sin. And so the serpent had to be cunning. My fear is if you look at our culture today, I don't believe that the devil is even working in secret anymore. He doesn't even need to be cunning. He's out in the open, and our culture is saying, I'm snatching eternities. What are you going to do about it? So he was more cunning than any beast of the field, and it says this, and he said to the woman, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? So his tactic is this. He starts to test the truth. Come on. The enemy's tactics has not changed in our culture. How he's trying to get you to lose the battle is test your knowledge of the truth. And if the enemy can get us to doubt, then he starts to win the battle. He goes, are you sure that's sin? Are you sure that's what God said? Are you sure you have to be obedient to that? Are you? God didn't really say that, did he? And then this is how the woman responds. 
And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, I don't know about you, but I grew up a little bit in church, and I've read this part forever. Like, I, we, I were like, yeah, I remember this. Did you catch something? She said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it. That's actually not what God told her. She misinterpreted what God has said. And how often when we don't know God's word, do we add in our own interpretation of what his word says to us? Says I, she says, you, you shall not eat, no, you shall not touch it lest you die. And then the serpent said to the woman, well, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. First he goes, are you sure? Tries to bring a seed of doubt. And the, and the woman's like, yeah, God said this. And then the enemy just goes, no, that's a lie. That's wrong. Don't believe that. No, 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 don't, don't believe that. He tries to lie straight up to us. In John 8, the devil, Satan, is described as a liar. And that's how he takes you out in battle. Oftentimes, it's, it's, it's him distorting the truth. Now, this is not the only time that deception blinded them because they fell. We know the story. Adam and Eve, they, they ate of the fruit, and then they fell, and they had to make it right with God. But there was another time in Scripture when Jesus was tempted by the devil, and the devil uses the same tactics. I truly believe if you know the devil's playbook, you'll be able to help defeat him. And so John, in Matthew 4, starting in verse 1, this is when Jesus, he really is about to start his ministry. But before he starts, he goes and spends time with the Lord, and he goes into the, the desert for 40 days, and he fasts. In verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Well, I might say something here. Jesus was led up by the Spirit. I think sometimes you have to understand that the testing of your armor is actually spirit-led. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward, he was hungry. I would be too. Yo, 40 days not eating something, give me food. Right? Some of y'all can laugh. It's okay. Y'all are like, I'm hungry right now. Is it much? All right. Verse 3. Now when? Not if. Now when? The tempter came. I hope you understand. It's not if you will be in battle, it's when you will be in battle. Some of y'all are already scared from that. You will, when you follow Jesus, you will face opposition. If you're not facing opposition, then maybe you're walking in the same direction as that opposition. Oh, gosh. Now, when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, Command these stones become, that these stones become bread. It was the testing of the truth. Let me break it down. He said, if you are the son of God, this is Matthew 4, right before this moment, 
Context is everything. In Matthew 3, Jesus gets baptized in the Jordan River. And all of heaven open up. It's like three times in the Bible that you hear the audible voice of God. All of heaven open up where Jesus comes out and is baptized in the water. And the voice of God says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. That just happened. God said, this is my son. And then what does the enemy say? Well, if you are the son of God. He just got affirmed in his identity, and then the enemy tries to distort the truth. This happens all the time when people surrender life to Jesus, that they have been given a new identity, and as soon as they walk away, the enemy's like, are you sure you've been made new? Are you sure you are a child of God? He says, if you are the son of God. But what does Jesus do? He sticks and he applies to the truth. He applies his his life to the truth. This is what I call conviction. I'm going to talk about this for just a minute because I truly believe in our Christian culture, we have mixed up what conviction is with opinion. We say, oh, that is your conviction. I know you feel that way, but that's your conviction. A.K.A., that's your opinion of how you should live your life. That is your opinion on what you should obey. But conviction is when the mature believer takes the truth and applies it to their life. That means for you to understand and grow in conviction, you need to be growing in the truth of what God has told us. Here's the reality. Belief is something you will argue about. Conviction is something you'll die for. Belief is something you argue about. Conviction is, no, I'm dying for this. This is why Jesus died on the cross, because he knew that he was the son of God. And how did Jesus respond? He answered and said, it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I love that Jesus stood firm on his identity. Stood firm on what God said. He said, it is written. This is so important to know because you got to realize this is Jesus. He is the son of God. He has all the power in the world. What he could have done, he could have used his supernatural power and just dismissed the enemy. But what he does instead, he gives us an example of that when we have the word of God in us, that it has a supernatural power to fight the enemy. The word of God, the truth. And then the devils took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, again, testing the truth, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. Now, here we go. Some of y'all, ready? For it is written. What? Jesus knows, I mean, does Satan know scripture too? Satan knows scripture too? Whoo. I hope you're well prepared because he is. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. Notice how the enemy uses scripture against Jesus. But the enemy uses scripture out of context. This is such a big deal in our culture, and I'm just going to help you understand this, that truth 
out of context is false. Truth out of context is false. I, I, I think in our Christian culture, we hear something that might be true, and we take it and put it as a foundational thing for our life. But without context, it's false. Can I give you some examples? Well, y'all get mad at me. Y'all might get mad at me. Because some of these, this is your scripture, like this is the one you're like, yes, I, I posted it on Instagram yesterday, right? Like, for example, I love that we have teenagers that in student ministry that get ready for a football game or basketball game. And so they're getting ready for the game. Or some of you guys are like waiting, you like, you like going to the gym. And so you'll post something like this. You're about to lift something heavy or you're about to play a sport. And you say, you know what? Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we just out of context like, yeah, the supernatural power of God. Do you understand that in context, Paul was actually writing again in prison and he was writing to the church of Philippi saying, hey, I know you've been blessing me, but I am content with Jesus alone. That's what the context was. And so before you post it, like, yeah, I'm about to play this game. I can do all things to Christ. Oh, well, I hope you're saying, no, I'm just content with Jesus alone, even when I'm in prison. Here's another one. Oh, y'all are going to get me. Chocolate bear, come on, dog. Uh, a lot of times, whenever you're going through a trial, we'll quote Revelation 12. We'll say, they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. And all y'all said, amen, right? Some of y'all are waiting, like, what is he about to say? Yes, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb what he did for us on the cross and the word of our testimony, how he has transformed them. But do you know that's not the end of the scripture? The end of the scripture says, and they loved their life, or they, not, they did not love their life unto death. That's what it says, Tom. And so if you're going to quote and say, hey, I'm going through a trial, but, but I will overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of my testimony, may you also in that same sentence, but I'm not going to love my own life unto death. That's how you overcome. You get rid of your selfishness and your desires. I remember 12 years ago when I was a brand new youth pastor, I was talking about knowing God's word. I was just, I was preaching and, and uh, I, I did something crazy. I'll never do it again because it's crazy, okay? But I remember preaching and I was like, hey, students, you really need to know God's word. You need to hide it in your heart. I said, Hezekiah 4.3 says, know thy Bible. And I just kept preaching. Some of y'all didn't even catch it. This little girl comes up to me after service. And she goes, chocolate bear, I was trying to find the reference that you mentioned in your sermon. I was like, which one? She goes, Hezekiah 4.3. I couldn't find it about knowing thy Bible. I was like, that's the point. There is no book of Hezekiah. But oftentimes we hear something that might tickle our ear and we take it as true. Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. He confronts him with scripture and context. And then verse 8, it says, again, again, again. Why am I repeating that word? Because I hope you understand that when you go into battle, 
Oftentimes, it's not the, the gravity or the magnitude of, how, of the opposition. It's the persistence of the enemy to try to take you out. And he says, again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you. Ready? If you will fall down and worship me. The truth is, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. If you don't stand for his word, you will fall for the lies of the enemy. I said it like this. A person without conviction is at the mercy of circumstances. That you are a person that does not apply truth to your life. That you are the mercy of the circumstance that comes your way. And in verse 10, it says this. This is how he closes. Then Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you serve. I love that when Jesus faces opposition, he doesn't ignore the opposition. He doesn't ignore the attacks. He doesn't say, stay silent against the opposition. He speaks up of what is true. I'm praying for a culture, a Christian culture that speaks up on what is true. That if we have a foundation in the word of God, that it would anchor us so that we are not deceived and we're able to help others not be deceived as well.